So here's the first thing you have to know about training. You've got to do the workouts that train all your muscle fibers. That Triathlon Show 203. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Pete Magill. Pete is a running coach, author, and the fastest ever American distance runner over the age of 50 in the 5K and 10K, as well as a multiple American and world age group record holder. In the interview today, we discuss some of the most important principles around run training and how to improve your speed, endurance and overall run performance. This discussion is partially based off of Pete's newest book, which is called Fast 5K. But uh, that being said, uh, the tips and advice are definitely applicable for runners of all distances, as well as triathletes, of course, although there will be slight nuances in uh, the differences between training for an Ironman triathlon compared to a fast 5k road or track race. Before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsors Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. They have a free online sweat test that you can take. It's just a simple internet-based quiz and that will give you an individual hydration strategy for your next race to learn how much uh, sodium you should take in so that you adequately replace the sodium that you lose through your sweat because everybody loses sweat of course but also sodium in their sweat at different rates check them out on precisionhydration.com and you can try your first box or tube of electrolyte product for free with the promo code that triathlon show all one word all caps and thank you to roca that you can find on roca.com Roka are the world leaders in wetsuits, swimskins, goggles, trisuits, and high-performance eyewear. And they are used by some of the best triathletes in the sport, like Katie Zafiris, Flora Duffy, Javier Gomez, Mario Mola, and many, many others. Roka are really driven by the mission to redefine the standard and make any triathlon equipment the fastest that it can possibly be. So if you're looking for products in any of the categories mentioned above, definitely check them out on roca.com and you can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. Now, without any further ado, here's coach Pete McGill. Pete, welcome to that triathlon show. How are you? I'm doing great. Very happy to be here. It's uh, an honor to have you. Uh, you're a very credible uh, coach, author, and runner yourself. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about that, uh, your, your background and bio, so to say? Well, I've been running uh, basically uh, since I was 13 years old. But as people who have uh, read my second book, The Born Again Runner, uh, already know, there was a big lapse period in there, a period from... Uh, my mid-20s to my late 30s, where I shied away from training and got into a uh, darker lifestyle, shall we say. Uh, led me down a road. I had a nightclub in the Virgin Islands, and then I was a screenwriter in Hollywood. And by the time I woke up in an ER at age 39, uh, after years of substance abuse and beating my body to pieces, the... Uh, ER doctor told me I, you know, I had a choice to make. I could either uh, watch my son grow up, who uh, was out in the waiting room for me and was six years old at that time, by changing my lifestyle, or I could uh, basically uh, keep living the way I was and never live to see him graduate from high school. So I made the decision to pull my Nikes out of the closet. I put them on my feet. I jogged a grand total of about five miles before nearly collapsing and thinking maybe I wasn't going to make it past that day before I had that heart attack the ER doctor had warned me about. Decided to take it a little bit easier. Five months later, I was able to run five miles. Uh, a year and a half after that, I ran my first master's race. Uh, my I was just about to turn 41. And... Uh, 
I've been running ever since. Here it is, 19 years after I, you know, first put on those Nikes um, as a master's runner. I, I decided, you know, this is not only the key to health, but it's the key to a better lifestyle. I started working on putting together a competitive club. Uh, my club, uh, my master's club that I got together, we've competed under various names. We ended up winning over two dozen national championships in the last, you know, 18 years uh, in cross country and road racing. I've personally had a very, uh, you know, I feel very lucky to have had the career I've had. Uh, I've been a five-time USA Masters Cross Country Runner of the Year, uh, have managed to set multiple American world age group records, probably the best of which are known, my American records for 5K or 5,000 meters at age 45 to 49, at age 50 to 54, and now at age 55 to 59. And uh, the great thing about the success I've managed to can, have. Can you give an idea about is, the times? I think you managed to sneak in under 15 minutes at 49. Did, have you done this in your 50s? Or? Yeah, I ran 1434 at age 46. At age uh, 49, right before I turned 50, I ran 1445. And uh, then I, uh, I had a real nasty uh, Achilles insertion uh, injury that put me out from then until right before I turned uh, 51. So I almost had a year down there. I never really got a chance to thrive as a 50 year old, but I did run a 1501 um, certified 5K on the road at age uh, 50, right before I turned 51. But yeah, the 1445 was my last sub 15 and that was a couple months before I turned 50. And uh, at age 55, I ran uh, 1542. I want to get into into some of the, the juicy stuff that we have lined up for today. But uh, you mentioned your book, The Born Again Runner. And uh, just so the listener, listeners have a background, a lot of what we'll discuss today is about your, your newest book, which is uh, called Fast 5K. But can you just briefly list your all your books that you have to, to give an idea of what sort of things you are writing about? Right. Well, the first book was, uh, first of all, I broke into run, uh, writing about running as a blogger in my mid-40s. Uh, running Times was linking to a lot of what I did, and they ended up bringing me on as a columnist and a senior writer. Uh, for five years, I wrote columns for Running Times. Uh, I decided it was time to put out a book. My first book was called Build Your Running Body. And what I wanted to do with Build Your Running Body is books said, Here's how you train, do this program, do this much of this and this much of that. And I thought, you know, what runners don't understand is that there are all these different components to your body. A weightlifter goes into a, a gym and he doesn't go, how many sets of exercises should I do to become a stronger weightlifter? He goes in and he goes, or he or she goes in and goes, what do I do to build my pecs, my chest? What do I do to build my shoulders? What do I do to build my arms or my legs or my core? And runners didn't have that perspective. So build your running body, broke down the running body into muscles, into connective tissue, into you know a chapter on the nervous system, a chapter on mitochondria, the aerobic energy producing powerhouses that lie within each of our cells. Uh, broke it down into the brain, you know, what is fatigue? How is the brain managing fatigue? It showed all of the different components, how each of them functions when we're running, how each of them contributes to running, and how each of them can be trained by various workouts. I thought that was a pretty cool idea. And, uh, you know, we also put 400 uh, photos uh, to go with it so that every single exercise uh, that you know, was spoken about in the book or that we talked about, you could see how to do. Uh, the next book was The Born Again Runner. My third book was a book called Speed Runner, which looked at really just speed itself, just acceleration, maximum velocity. You know, uh, it, I, I learned so much from writing my third book because I learned that like the key to running is the force we put into the ground with each stride and how our runners gait, how what our muscles are doing in each stride creates that force. I actually uh, 
I think that's might be the most important book I've done, uh, even though for distance runners, a lot of them think, eh, you know, what's what's leg speed got to do with my 5K time or my half marathon time? But studies have consistently shown over the years and, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the, the top exercise physiologists who are working in endurance training have shown over the years that the best runners at 5K, at 10K, even uh, up to like a half marathon, when you get a group of runners who have similar endurance, the one who wins the race is the one who has the best um, underlying leg speed. So Speed Runner was my third book. Fast 5K is me coming back home to the race that I'm best known for, uh, the race that I've probably, you know, focused the most on since I got back to running almost two decades ago, and which I consider the perfect race because it's a mix of that speed that a miler needs with that endurance that a half marathoner or a marathoner needs. I don't think it's any uh, coincidence that a lot of top marathoners were also top 5K runners. Um, it brings together everything we need as a runner. And because it does, it's one of the funnest races to train for because you need to do the wide variety of workouts that gives you leg speed, that gives you uh, endurance using all of your energy systems, that requires you to use all your muscle fibers. But that being that this race is about 95 to 97% aerobic fueled also demands heavy endurance training in order to be good. So basically to me, it's fun. You have to do all the training to get there. And then the number one thing I like about it is that afterwards you're recovered in a few days. It doesn't take you a month before you can, uh, you know, do a hard workout or think about running again, which is sometimes the case after a marathon or, or even a half marathon. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the book, you, you've broken it down into 25 keys and you also have four training plans in it. We won't cover all the 25 keys here today, obviously, because that uh, could uh, fill a book. Wouldn't as, require as, as you're done. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but let's, uh, let's give some, uh, an overview of, of some of the most important components. And first, oh. if we discuss the, the run training itself, so, so the, the running training aspects, can you, can you highlight some of the most important things that go into the run training for, uh, for a fast 5K? Yeah, and, and it all starts, there's a, there's a real, you know, we can start from a, a key that, you know, it's something I talked about in Build Your Running Body, and it's been a, you know, a focal point of every book and of many of the articles I've written, because it's a thing that runners don't think about a lot. And what they don't think about a lot is actual muscle fiber training. A lot of runners think I go out and run. Okay. I use my quadricep muscles. You know, I use my hamstrings. I use my calves. And when I'm doing distance, you know, I'm using the whole muscle. I'm just using it a little less intensely than I do when I'm running harder. This is a misconception. You have three different types of muscle fibers that make up every muscle. Most runners have heard them. You have slow twitch, which is our, you know, the favorite of marathoners. It's your endurance muscle fiber. It's smaller. It produces less force, but it works aerobically and it can go forever. It's like the energizer bunny. It goes and goes and goes. Then you have these intermediate fibers and they're a little bigger and a little bit more powerful. You know, they're the muscle fibers that milers really like because they give you a little bit more speed. But here's the thing about intermediate fibers. You aren't using them when you're out jogging. You're barely using them when you're out on a distance run. You're only using about 50% of them when you're on a, a tempo run or when you're doing half marathon or marathon pace. So with that in mind, we also have fast twitch fibers. These are the fibers that are big and powerful and sprinters use them. But we also use them. We use them when we're uh, going off the start line or when we're heading up a hill or when we're increasing our pace, accelerating, maybe into the final kick to the finish line. Again, these aren't muscle fibers that get trained in a normal distance run. 
So what happens is that in order to train all these muscles, you have to do types of workouts that actually recruit these muscles. And a lot of runners don't understand that. A lot of runners think if I go out and I do, and I'm gonna throw out a number here, a lot of runners won't do this many miles, a lot of runners will do more, but it's an easy number. If I go out and do 50 miles of distance a week, I should be in shape for say a 5K race. They get to the 5K race, they go out, they don't quite perform at the level they want. And the next day they come to me and they go, Pete, why am I sore? I train 50 miles a week. And I look at them and I go, because you didn't train the muscle fibers you used in the race, dummy. Here's an analogy. You plant a garden in your front yard. You water a third of it the first day. You water a third of it the second day. For a month, you water that same third of your garden. At the end of the month, a third of your garden is growing and two-thirds of it is dead. And you go, what the heck happened to the two-thirds of my garden? You didn't water it, dummy. Okay? It's the same thing with muscle fibers. If you aren't watering your entire garden, if you aren't doing the workouts that recruit intermediate fibers, that recruit fast-twitch fibers, you aren't going to have them train. They're going to be uh, just like they were on day one of your training. Now, this is the important thing to know when we're talking about muscle fibers. We don't like use slow twitch for endurance. And then if we're sprinting, not use slow twitch and use fast twitch. The faster we run or the more force we need, say, to get up a hill, we add muscle fibers to the ones we're already using. So when we're out jogging, we're probably using about 30 to 40% of our slow twitch fibers. When we pick that up to a normal distance run, which is conversational, but, but still testing us a little bit, we're probably using about 70% of our slow twitch fibers. When you get up to tempo pace, half marathon pace, okay, now we're using 100% of our slow twitch fibers, but we've had to recruit about 50% of our intermediate fibers to maintain that effort. When we're running 5K pace, we're running 100% of our slow twitch fibers, almost 100% of our intermediate fibers, and 75 to 80% of our, of our fast twitch fibers. We're, we're using all of these muscle fibers. So here's the first thing you have to know about training. You've got to do the workouts that train all your muscle fibers, okay? If you're just doing distance, you won't. That's why once a week you throw in a tempo run. Now you're giving a lot of volume of training to those intermediate fibers you're going to need to use. But you aren't quite using all the fibers you're going to use in a race. So once a week or once every other week, you've got to do faster intervals. That's where you get down to doing intervals that are like 5K pace. Or maybe you even go faster than that. Maybe you get down to doing intervals at 1,500 to 3K pace, shorter intervals, 30 to 45 seconds with a long recovery afterwards. But, uh, you know, double the time of the, the interval because that recruits all those muscles and you start strengthening them. Now, what else happens when you start strengthening muscle fibers? You start strengthening the connective tissue uh, involved with those fibers. Connective tissue is just a, a big term we use to lump in things like tendons, bones, ligaments, okay? Connective tissue is where a lot of injuries occur. And a lot of those occur because our muscles uh, actually uh, get in shape faster than connective tissue. It adapts faster. So your muscles feel good. You up your workouts. Your connective tissue isn't quite ready to go. You end up with a connective tissue injury about three or four weeks in. So, again, it's important to train the muscle fibers. They, in turn, put the stress on connective tissue that trains it. Be patient because the connective tissue takes a little longer to go. And all of that training recruits different energy systems. You know, you have to use your aerobic system heavily to do the distance and the tempo. Your anaerobic system starts coming in when you're running um, the shorter intervals, especially the real short intervals. Because uh, uh, what a lot of people don't realize is the first like 30 to 40 seconds of an interval or a race is the most anaerobic part of the entire effort. 
Uh, a lot of people think it's when you get tired that you actually get into an anaerobic state, but this isn't true. Um, when you go from a start line or the start of a run to the speed you're going to run, you uh, create a need for energy immediately. Okay. Aerobic energy requires oxygen to produce the energy. You don't have that extra oxygen at your cells when you start a race or start a workout. It takes 30 to 40 seconds for you to breathe that oxygen in and for it to get transferred through your lungs, uh, into your bloodstream, pumped out from your heart, sent down to your legs. It's about a 30 to 40 second delay. While that delay is uh, taking place, anaerobic energy is kicking in. So those short repetitions with a long rest are your way of using that anaerobic system over and over again. So what I'm saying is start thinking about muscles. How am I gonna train all my muscle fibers? And by focusing on that, you train connective tissue. By doing a wide variety of training, you train your energy systems. So you asked for and, and, a big I, way to start, and that's how, it. How many how many of these quality workouts would you do if you're, let's say you are a runner and you run six or seven days per week, you can choose whichever example you prefer, but but how would you structure in the quality workouts between easier uh, endurance runs or, or the long runs as well with lower intensity? The I, I'd, I'd love to give you an exact number, but of course it changes depending on your situation. Uh, it changes on age. It changes if you're 20 or if you're 50. It also changes if you're a runner and that's all you're doing, or let's say you're a triathlete and you also have to mix in swimming and biking. Um, the thing to understand is your body, a young person can probably handle two to three intense workouts in a week. Um, somebody who's 50 might only be able to handle one intense workout in a week. Uh, it doesn't change. Uh, well, actually, let's just stick with a runner and then we'll, we'll branch out to if you're doing other things besides running. Sure. Yep. Okay. When you run a workout, and this is what everybody sort of knows this, but we kind of forget. We don't get in shape while we're running the workout. We get in shape when we're recovering from the workout. You start a workout and let's say you're 100%. You're good. You're healed. You're ready to go. That workout is designed to break you down. It's designed to injure muscle tissue, to injure, injure connective tissue, to deplete your energy resources, to deplete the carbohydrate that's stored in each muscle cell, what we call muscle glycogen, to deplete your overall energy stores, to deplete the neurotransmitters in your brain that will be used to fire the messages to get your muscle fibers working. So a workout is designed to break you down and deplete the resources you use to run. What your body does is it has two stages of repair after each workout. The first stage is just to repair the damage, just to replace the depleted resources. Probably takes about two days for your body to repair the kind of muscle damage that will occur in a typical hard workout, a tempo session or an interval session or hard hill reps or something. Um, it takes about one day for it to replace the carbohydrate stores within your muscles. Um, so a runner will hit two days, their energy stores will be replaced, their muscles are feeling pretty good, and they think, hey, I feel good. I'm ready to run again. Well, what I tell my athletes is feeling good is not a green light to run hard again. Because see, again, there are two phases of recovery. The first phase is repair and replenishment. The second phase is super compensation. And this is the important phase. Once your body has repaired to the level it was before the hard workout, your body's no dummy. It thinks, you know, this guy just might throw that at me again. So I'm going to make myself a little stronger than I was before so that that doesn't injure me as much. And it super compensates. Your muscles get a little stronger than they were before. Your muscles store more energy. 
Each one of your muscle cells has its own carbohydrate, car, excuse me, carbohydrate fuel tank. Think of it like a gas tank for a car. Each of your muscle fibers is like its own car. It's got its own gas tank. Well, by training and supercompensating, that gas tank gets bigger. A muscle cell which only had a 10-gallon gas tank can actually get a 20-gallon gas tank. But it will only do that if you allow it to go through supercompensation. Now, this is important because for young runners, a lot of times two days is enough to repair and supercompensate. For runners, as they get into their mid to late 30s and especially in their 40s, you know, master's age, it will take an extra day to do that. For a runner in their 50s or 60s, you might have to run a hard workout and maybe wait three or four days to run another hard workout or maybe an entire week. You know, it depends on how your body works. But here's the thing. If you don't allow it to supercompensate, if all you do is run hard before your body has made that adjustment, has become better than it was before, you won't improve. Maybe you'll get a little bump at the beginning as your body fights to stay ahead of the curve, but your body won't do that forever. And you'll reach a point where you won't improve, and that's quickly followed by the point where you fall off the cliff and wonder, what happened? Why am I having trouble even finishing a workout? Why do my legs hurt? You know, I just did this workout last week. This week, I'm breathing hard halfway through it. And it's because you didn't allow it to do that supercompensation. Yeah, that, that's a great explanation, and and this is one of the reasons uh, for uh, one of the possible reasons for stagnation in athletes, even when they think that they're doing the work, they can do the su- succeed, successfully complete the workouts, etc. So they manage to recover from workout to workout, but they don't necessarily give their body enough enough time to really adapt to to the workload and and make itself stronger. So really, really good points there. Uh, no, you're absolutely 100% correct. And stagnation is a really good way of putting it because that's what happens. You stagnate. It's not the work. It's the work you can recover from. But here's something else I want to tell, you know, anyone who's listening to this who goes, oh, you know, well, I, I don't want to just be mediocre and do light workouts. You keep building. Where you end up, if you take the time to supercompensate, where you end up is amazing. It's a place you didn't think you could get to before you started recovering correctly. You know, I used to, to always say slower is faster. Um, slower, you know, uh, slower will get you where you want to go faster because you will keep getting better rather than having that stagnation. Faster You'll never get there at all because faster leads to stagnation. Trying to get someplace fast in fitness leads to stagnation and then leads to falling off the cliff. So if you take your time, you keep climbing that mountain, you know, and at first, a lot of my clubmates laugh at me um, because if I've had time off because I've taken time off to write a book as, you know, I, I did this past couple of years, I had to take time off to write two books. When I come back, I start with a week of walking. Then I do a couple weeks of walk jogging. And my clubmates will mock me. They'll go, they'll go, what, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're supposed to be a runner. You're supposed to be this record holder. You're, you're walk jogging. And I go, this is how I make sure my muscles and my connective tissue are ready. We could get into the nervous system, which is equally important, but, but let's save that aside for now. I go, if I have, if I keep improving and if I make sure everything is strong enough that the, when I increase my intensity and volume, I've got the foundation to support it, I will get where I want to go. And they sort of laugh and then they see me two months later and I'm running, you know, now I'm in my late 50s and I'm running, you know, 15 and a half to 16 minutes for a 5K again and I'm training 85 miles a week. And my training includes repetitions and hill reps and resistance training and downhill running and VO2 max reps and short reps and tempo. And they're like, how did you get there? And I'm like, remember when I was walk jogging? Yeah, I built it up step by step. I took my time, but in taking my time, 
I got to this point faster than you could ever hope to get to it, pushing it. So important. Patience. That's uh, that's really one of the keys, keys yes. that maybe I don't even know if you have it in your as one of your 25 keys. But I think in all endurance sports, that's definitely uh, a key factor. Uh, you mentioned hills there, and that's something that you have a couple of sections on as well, different sorts of ways to use hills. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. First, I want to say uh, one of the things I talked about speedrunner and what I learned Hills have mystified me through most of my running career. I've always known they worked. I went to a, a high school, a small high school. We had about uh, 1,500 kids in the, the high school. And we had, uh, we were in a, uh, it was the name of the town is La Cañada, which means the canyon. And it was a bowl. We had mountains rising on both sides of the valley in which I live. And we had the most amazing 800-meter runners for a small, a small high school that you could imagine. One year, we had 12 guys running 159 or faster. Um, when I was running there, the, you know, we would run a four times 800-meter relay team. And, and you couldn't make the team if you couldn't run 156. And... I knew our coach had us run hill sprints, hill reps, long runs into the hills. And we all knew intuitively that it was the hills that was making us strong. And hills remained a big part of my workout schedule forever. I know that hills were a huge part of, of such famous runners as Seb Coe. Seb Coe had a a hill repeat circuit he ran as, as part of his base training. Lydiard, of course, included lots of hills, and he included hill springing and hill bounding. And uh, the Kenyans are, are famous for the, the hill training that they've included. So I knew it worked, but I wasn't quite sure why it worked. And uh, I finally figured it out with Speedrunner. We know that hills require us to produce more force. Okay, because we're going up hills. We're fighting gravity. When we go up hills, we not only have to produce more force, we, of course, have to recruit more muscle fibers to produce more force. Not only do we have to recruit more muscle fibers to produce more force, but when we're running on the flat, half of the force we produce comes from when our knees are lifted high and then our leg comes down and strikes the ground, we create collision force. Okay, that force is stored in our connective tissue, mostly in our Achilles tendon, is what's known as elastic um, energy. Now, it's not important that anybody remembers these terms or whatever. Here's what's important to know, is when your foot hits the ground, the energy of gravity and inertia as it hits is stored in your leg. You don't create that energy, it's stored, and as your leg passes beneath you, it's returned. Your Achilles returns that energy into your stride and it fuels your stride. About 50% of the energy you use for each stride when you run comes from stored energy from when your foot hits the ground, okay? When you're running up a hill, your foot doesn't get to travel as far to the ground. So not only do you have to use more muscles to fight gravity, you have to produce more force because you aren't getting as much collision force. You know, it's the same as if you take a hammer over your head and strike a counter, you're gonna smack it. But if you only lift that hammer a few inches off the counter and put it down, you can't hit it with as much force. The same thing happens with your foot going up a hill. You naturally have the amount of force from that collision with the ground cut down, which means you have less of that to store. Any force you don't store through that collision, you have to produce with your muscles. So you're producing more force with your muscles and um, you're having to produce it quick enough to get back into your next stride. Your nervous system, your muscles learn how to do that. You get back on the flats and the result is your nervous system and muscles know how to create more force more quickly with each foot strike. And it makes you faster, gives you a little bit longer stride. Your foot spends less time on the ground, which gives you faster turnover. So you increase your cadence, you increase the distance you travel during each cadence, 
And along the way, you create uh, better energy systems, too, because you're using them to go up the hill by using the other um, muscle fibers. So hills are basically the key to success in, and I would say, any race. Um, I, I can't, I'm trying to think of if there was a distance where they become less. And I can't because even if we go to ultras, most ultras involve uh, uh, hills yeah, at yeah. some point. What are your favorite workouts then to do? Do you do anything from very short hill sprints that you mentioned up to long runs that you just incorporate a lot of hilly running and everything in between, basically different durations of intervals? Or, or what are your, your staple hilly workouts that you like to include in a program? Yeah, I just like to repeat exactly what you said because that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, yes, I do hill sprints. Hill sprints are, I'm going to start from the base. Hill sprints are 8 to 10, maybe up to 12 seconds of sprinting up a fairly steep hill. Um, Not so steep that there's something you have to keep in mind is you never want to do a workout where your stride is so so uh, altered from what you would ever use in a run that it's not going to transfer usefully to an actual race. Um, Your nervous system becomes very efficient at firing the correct muscles in the correct order to give you the best stride possible. So you always want to keep um, uh, uh, your hill to a degree where you're still having an okay stride. For hill sprints, that can be a little bit steeper. You only want to go 8 to 12 seconds, and you want to go 90 to 95%. Um, You don't want to go longer than that because you're using a different anaerobic system. And it's an anaerobic system. uh, You know, I always talk about the fast and the furious when, uh, oh, what's the name of the star? When he flips the nitro switch and the, the car shoots forward for a burst of just a few seconds. And that's what uh, your anaerobic phosphagen system is. It's a system that can only fire for about 8 to 10 seconds max. And it's a great system to fire because it doesn't have the fallout that the anaerobic system most of us think about, which is this uh, anaerobic uh, fast glycolysis. Don't have to know the name. It's just... If your, your listeners think of, when they think of anaerobic, they think if you went out and you ran 400 meters all out, you'd feel really bad. <laughs> and a lot of that is from using this anaerobic system, which can go full tilt for about a minute. And that's the anaerobic system most people think of. Okay. If you go eight to 10 seconds, most of your energy comes from this other anaerobic system. And this anaerobic system is uh, is fueled within your muscle cells and you burn it quickly and it doesn't have the negative byproducts of uh, of um, the anaerobic lactate system. And so we keep it to 8 to 12 seconds. That also allows you, the other reason we want to keep it there is because this is such a potent energy source that you can recruit muscle fibers that you simply can't produce the energy to use during normal running. Because you need a ton of energy. You need this full bore energy boost in order to sprint up a hill at that sort of effort. And as soon as you've exhausted this energy source, you're no longer able to produce enough energy to use all the muscle fibers you want in a hill sprint. So you have to wait about two minutes minimum after a hill sprint to do the next one. I, I was going to I was going to add that uh, about the recovery there, and it's so important to have full recovery between them because that's yeah. such a common mistake. I think that runners just want to run; they think that uh, standing around waiting is wasting time, but it's not. It's wasting time if you're jogging and not letting your your creatine phosphate uh, system build back up to to its uh, initial energy level, so that you can use that that fast anaerobic system. Right. Right, and that's, in fact, the great phosphate system is what we're talking about, and you are 100% right, and I'm sure you would agree with me. I have never met a distance runner who couldn't turn any workout into a distance run, yeah. <laughs> and that is not what we're doing with a workout like this. In fact, the, the, this particular system really takes three minutes to rejuvenate. You know, it has to, it has to recreate stores Within Now, luckily, it uses fat and oxygen to recreate these stores. 
which is why it makes it a great fat burning uh, exercise, these shorter reps. Same thing with resistance training that uses the same energy system. It rebuilds from fat and oxygen, but it takes about three minutes for your body to fully restore the levels. The reason I say two is because most distance runners will go nuts if you make them wait more than two minutes between reps. And also distance runners don't tend to burn the system as much because they don't have quite the, the level of uh, fast twitch fibers. So they're still drawing heavily on other energy systems. But you need two to three minutes rest. From there, we can step up to what I call hill repeats, which are no longer targeting that phosphagen system. They're targeting uh, both the anaerobic system and the aerobic system. Um, and these are reps of 30 seconds to 90 seconds. A lot of runners will take them all the way up to two minutes, but I think two minutes is too long. I don't think you get extra um, benefit from it. And I think you lower the intensity in order to go that extra bit to the point that you aren't recruiting all the muscle fibers. Remember that in workouts, we set up workouts because we want to recruit. We aren't running a pace. Workouts aren't about a pace until you get ready to race and you need to become efficient at a pace. Before that, workouts are about what am I recruiting? What muscle fibers am I recruiting? What energy systems am I recruiting? So when you're running a hill repeat, you're thinking, what muscle fibers am I recruiting? What energy systems am I recruiting? And you start at 30 seconds because you need to build up to these. You need your, your, your system to develop the strength before you move on. But about 90 seconds is about the maximum length you want to take one of these reps. Because then you can still write, run it hard enough to recruit the, you know, the full, your full available intermediate fibers. If you're recruiting all your intermediate fibers, you are developing the aerobic capacity within them because they are so oxygen challenged that uh, even a 90 second hard hill rep will challenge them. You're also um, energizing the aerobic energy production you already have within cells. They've shown that, you know, you can do lots of tempo, you can do lots of endurance running, and you'll develop these aerobic power plants with each, within each cell, just like each muscle cell has it, had its own gas tank, like we were talking about. Each has its own aerobic energy uh, production plant. It's called by a sciencey name, mitochondria. But each of your cells has its own mitochondria producing this aerobic energy, okay? And what you wanna do is the only way to make them better, the only way to make them bigger and get them to split and produce more energy is to work those cells. So if you aren't running hard enough to recruit the muscle fiber that you want to make better, you will not make it better. So workouts are designed, how much can we train each muscle fiber? We would love to train each muscle fiber every day, all out, if we could recover from it, but we can't. So that's why we do a lot of endurance running because we can recover from distance running. Those slow twitch With those hill repeat recover. workouts, uh, can you give an idea of the total duration of work? So the number of, uh, of repetitions you might do and the recovery between repetitions? Yes. Right. And this comes back to the volume. We want to do as much as we can to train them. You want to, when you're doing a 30-second repeat, you can probably do 8 to 12 of them. Okay, because, you know, you go up, you do 30 seconds, you run them pretty hard. People sometimes say, how fast should I run my hill repeats? And I always say, how many are you going to run? Run them fast enough so that when you run your last repeat, you could probably run one more repeat, but not more than that. Um, so however hard that is. Uh, when I'm doing 30-second repeats, I sometimes like to just go out and go, you know what, I'm going to do 20 minutes of these. And I start my watch and I run the 30 seconds up. When you get to the end of your hill repeat, stop. Just stop, turn around, walk for 15 to 30 seconds, then jog to the base of the hill, and then make sure at least at least twice the time you took running up the hill has expired before you start your next rep. Because you want that full rep or that full recovery. So about 10 to 12. We go up to 45 seconds, maybe you do eight, okay? Get up to 90 seconds, start with four reps, build up to about six reps. 
If you're going to do a lot more reps than six, again, you're not going to do them at the intensity you need to recruit all the fibers you're trying to train. So I would say about six times 90 seconds. As you get up to those 90 second reps too, you might need more where for a 30 second rep, maybe you only need 60 seconds of recovery. For a 45 second rep, you might need a minute and a half, but maybe you need two or three minutes. When you get up to a 90 second rep, you might need four or five minutes between reps. The point isn't to turn it into a distance run. The point is to recruit as much muscle fiber as you can during the run because you want to stimulate a training adaptation in those fibers. So you got to be able to run them pretty hard. That's why the recovery is important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, for the other hill workouts, uh, were you about to, to go on with, with some other examples or shall we move on to the long? Yes. And so now we've, we've taken care of all of our muscle fibers and great nervous system training with hill sprints. With the hill reps, we've really trained the heck out of our intermediate fiber. We've developed aerobic or we've developed both aerobic and anaerobic energy systems. Plus, we've developed the power in our legs we need in order to run faster you know, during races. Now we go out and we do the runs with long hills, okay? And I'm not big on rolling hills. I much prefer to go out and not everybody has access, but if you can go out and you can find a hill where you can climb for at least five minutes, maybe 15 minutes, um, you know, just heading up a long hill, you don't want a real steep hill because again, you want a hill where you can kind of keep your, your form. It's amazing. It's amazing uh, the the strength you can develop. Uh, you're recruiting more muscle fiber, but you're not recruiting a ton more. It's not like the hill repeats. Your body can't take recruiting that much of your faster fibers. And before we we get out, make sure I can I can come back and explain that a little bit. But so the long hill runs not only build muscle strength, but here's what's important: they also build connective tissue strength because you're putting more force on the tendons, on the bones, not just going up the hill, but coming back down the hill. Coming down the hill, um, you're, you're putting more strain on your bones, on your tendons. Your bone and tendons are living tissue. They are like muscle. They respond to stimulus by getting stronger. And uh, that's why, you know, a lot of, that's why A, it's important to do training that puts extra stress on them and B it's important to limit how fast you increase your training because again, they do not adapt as fast as muscle runners go out, their muscles feel great. They up their mileage. They add some more, um, some more intensity, some tempo, some reps, four to eight weeks in, they get a stress fracture and they're like, what did I do today that caused that? You didn't do anything today. Every day for the past four to eight weeks, you were putting a little too much strain on your bone that it wasn't ready to take. Your bone couldn't repair as fast as it was breaking down and you got a stress fracture. So the long hills are important for energy systems, for some muscular development and also for connective tissue development. Mm, yeah, perfect. The long run finally is, uh, is another component that I would like to to discuss a bit. Uh, what's your take on the long yeah. run uh, for 5K training or run training in general? Take it whichever way you want to. One of the biggest mistakes athletes who are who are focusing on the 5K make is to think I'm only going to race 3.1 miles, therefore I don't need a long long run. This is a mistake because they're thinking again in terms of time and race distance and not in what components of my running body will make me better at that. We're talking about a race that's about 95% aerobic energy fuel. Okay. And in slower runners, even more than that. So we're talking about a race that's largely dependent on aerobic energy. And one of the biggest or one of the most powerful ways you can improve your body for producing aerobic energy is to do a long run. When you do a long run, you increase your body's ability to uh, burn fat, you increase your body's, the stimulus to, uh, to uh, 
expand the, those uh, carbohydrate fuel tanks within each fiber. Not only that, the longer you go, once you get to about 90 minutes in a long run, you start running out of fuel in a lot of these slow twitch fibers. And what happens when you run out of fuel with slow twitch fibers is other slow twitch fibers take their place. Ones you weren't using before suddenly become recruited. So you are able to recruit far more slow twitch fiber on a long run than you are on a regular distance run. Well, this is good because the only other way you're going to recruit that slow twitch fiber is to run, say, tempo pace or intervals. And those put a really hard strain on your body. They put a big strain on your nervous system. The long run doesn't put this sort of a strain on your nervous system and on your, your uh, energy systems. So you're able to train slow twitch and even some of your more aerobic intermediate fibers as part of a normal run. Better shape those get in, you will be using all those fibers in a race. So if you aren't training the long run, if you're cutting your, your distance runs off, you're going, hey, I'm only gonna race three miles, I'm only, my long run's gonna be six or seven miles. You're not training the muscle fibers you're actually going to be using in that race. Because in that 5K race, you're gonna use 100% of your slow twitch fibers. The long run is a perfect way to learn to train them. It's the best way to increase the fuel tank capacity of your slow twitch muscle fibers. It's a great way to increase your ability to produce more aerobic energy. Your mitochondria, those power houses get bigger. They'll even double, you know, they'll split and become two mitochondria, give you two engines in that cell. Um, if you keep, if you go beyond, you know, they say 90 minutes, but of course that's just a number we throw out there. Basically just keep going longer. If you get up to two hours, okay, now that's probably enough. All right. Because at a certain point we trained the fibers we were after. We aren't training for the marathon. We're not teaching our body to go through that beating. So 90 minutes to two hours is a great long run for a, uh, for a 5k runner and for anyone you know training up to a half marathon perfect summary and uh, i know we're running pretty short on time here soon you have a, a window a time window here so just to the final training question here before we move into the rapid fire questions is regarding strength and conditioning what are your thoughts on that i've always said and i talk about strength and conditioning you know runners runners don't have to be bodybuilders but runners need strength uh, in order to A, uh, maximize their running ability, B, prevent injury. A lot of resistance training is, uh, provides a double, a double workout for you. A, it makes you a better runner. B, it prevents injury. And something I tell all of my run runners is the, the thing about an injury prevention exercise is it doesn't double as an injury reversal exercise. So you want to get out there and you want to start including strength and conditioning. At a minimum, you want to do exercises for your lower body that A, prevent exercise, B, contribute to your ability to run better. Um, for hamstrings... Prevent, prevent injury, right? Not prevent exercise. Oh, did I say prevent exercise? <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, see what happens when I... Yeah, let me talk on and on. I start mixing up my words. No, prevent injury. Yes, please. None of this is to prevent exercise. That would be not doing these and getting injured. That prevents exercise. So to prevent injury and improve your ability to run, for hamstrings, you might do something like um, Nordic curls, um, it's a great exercise. It's if you put Nordic curl into Google, I guarantee it'll pull up a, a video, show you how to do it. It's a very simple exercise. It's what's known as an eccentric exercise and uh, maybe do single leg deadlifts. In fact, you can, you can go to uh, my website, fast5krunning.com. And if you go to the coaching tab, you will find uh, a video that takes you through the exercises I'm talking right now about right now, the Nordic curls, the single leg deadlifts. Um, those strengthen your hamstring. I, I discovered Nordic curls a couple, I know I'm on another tangent. This is too, 
I want your, your listeners to understand how amazing these workouts are. I've had a little hamstring problem. And so I did a lot of research on hamstring injuries for my book, Speedrunner. And it turned out everything everybody's doing, you know, the stretching, a lot of the stuff is not what we now know you need to do to prevent hamstring injuries. It's an exercise called Nordic curls. And I thought, okay, I'll do Nordic curls because I've been having some hammy problems. Uh, I was 55 at the time. I was working out with my club. We were going, I was meeting him once a week. We were doing, you know, all sorts of repeats. We we're doing lots of 800s. I've been running 800s and I've been running about 225, 226 for like eight reps on them. I thought, that's okay. I'm, I'm 55. That's not a bad pace. I did Nordic curls for my hamstrings. I did Nordic curls one more time. This was in a space of like four days. I went to the workout. And I was doing my 800 repeats at 218 and then at 217. And I was like, what the heck happened? What happened is the Nordic curls reintegrated using my hamstrings correctly into my running stride. And I went from struggling through reps at 225 to 227 pace to running them at 217, 218 pace, which if you're a runner, you know, is a huge change. Yeah, And it was uh, two weeks after that that I went and set the American record for 5,000 for my age group. So it not only prevented hamstring injuries, it made me fast. So when I'm talking about these injury prevention exercises, don't roll your eyes and go, yeah, 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 well, I don't get injured much because they'll make you faster. So Nordic curls and uh, single leg deadlifts for your hamstrings. Step downs, squats for your quads and for your glutes and hamstrings. Heel drops, what I call heel dips uh, for your, your calves. Also to strengthen your Achilles tendon. Remember we talked about elastic energy and collision force earlier. The, the stronger your Achilles tendon is, the more energy you can store in it and the faster it will return that energy. Um, let's see, what if I miss? Uh, for core, a little bit of core, say planks and uh, maybe uh, uh, leg lifts. And that's about all I do for core. Uh, one of the greatest core exercises there is, is running. Every single stride you take works your core. Do the, the planks, which are uh, probably the best core exercise there is. Uh, we evolved from animals facing down, get in that position, strengthen your whole kinetic chain that way, and, and you should be good to go. And how, how often would you do strength and conditioning in, in some form, and how long would a session be for you? Okay, for, for athletes in base who are just building up their strength, you need to do it like twice a week. Once you've got it down, you can honestly get away with once a week. And the reason you can get away with only doing it once a week is because when you start any strength uh, training program, resistance training, for about the first four to six weeks, all of the almost all of the improvements you make are nervous system. It's your nervous system learning how better to recruit the muscle you already have. Okay, it takes a long time before you actually start building a lot of uh, muscle and connective tissue strength itself. Once you've built strength, what you're really trying to do is reinforce the nervous system pathways you develop with those exercises. You want your, you know, I say it's like a, with your nervous system, it's like a mailman with a new route. Uh, the first or new route, the first couple, the first couple times the mailman doesn't know where the mail goes, doesn't know that the mailbox is hidden behind the bush and that this apartment, all the mailboxes are here, and the one without a number is actually 817, and it takes a few days to learn the route. Once the route is down, boom, 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 the mail can be delivered faster. It's the same with your nervous system. You're teaching your nervous system how to best recruit muscle fibers to produce the result you want. So if you go once a week, you retrain and reinforce your nervous system's ability to recruit the correct muscle fibers in the correct way. And that's actually pretty difficult when you think about recruiting across joints and, and getting muscles to work synergistically with each other. 
and exactly the right time in relation to when another muscle fiber is firing. Yeah, your 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 eight so your eight hundred is a perfect I, example of that because uh, for for some reason apparently your your hamstrings or weren't activated enough. So suddenly when you when you learn taught the, them to to actually activate and also that translated into running you were suddenly running so much faster so that's a, a great example of, of yes. exactly what you're what you're saying there exactly and if you're over 50 i guarantee you your hamstrings are not firing correctly anymore especially if you've been very it's something i know a lot of top um runners in their age groups in 50 to 60 and beyond and all of them have had to reintegrate hamstrings and glutes into their stride. And every single time they've done those, they've emerged going, oh my God, I had no idea I still had yeah, this. Yeah, I, I think almost anybody that has a desk-bound job, uh, which is most of us these days, really. Yes, <laughs> unfortunately, as I sit at my desk and talk to you. Uh, anyway, uh, Pete, I will let you go very soon because I know that you're on a tight schedule. Just uh, very quickly, the rapid fire questions, and these are meant to be answered in one sentence or less. So uh, this will be a challenge, but but let's. Well, that's hard for me, but I'm going to do my best. <laughs> yeah, let's try. The first one is: What's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to endurance sports? I like the website I write for, PodiumRunner.com. It's uh, it's what used to be competitor and is now called PodiumRunner.com. And we've got, you know, Dathan Ritzenheim and Andy Burfoot and uh, the old uh, editor from Running Times, Jonathan, uh, uh, is running it. Beverly. And uh, John, excuse me, Jonathan Beverly is running it. And we've got a lot of people. So I know it's mine and I know that's over a sentence, but I honestly think we're we're the best resource right now. It's a long sentence, but it's it's a sentence. Right. <laughs> uh, ne- next one is, what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? OCD. <laughs> and finally, what do you? I, I'm not kidding. I, you know, when I was when I was in high school, if I didn't do my run, I would be awake until three in the morning till I put on my shoes and went outside and went for the run. And so I would say habit for me, uh, OCD forced habit. Mm. And finally, what do you wish you had known or done differently at some point in your career? Everything. When I was young, uh, everything I write about, everything I talk about when it's injury prevention, everything I talk about in recovery, everything I talk about is because I did it wrong when I was young and paid the price. There's not an injury in a single book I talk about that I didn't suffer. I've had five stress fractures, IT band syndrome. I've had... You know, I had every sort of muscle pull, connective tissue injury that there is. And uh, that's why, you know, I'm I'm writing these books. It's my way of giving. Yeah. Well, and Fat 5K is everything. My new book is everything I wish somebody had taught me about training back when I was wasting my teens training like an idiot. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for all that you do, the books and, and all the articles. I really enjoy reading your stuff. I haven't read Fast 5K yet, but I'm looking forward to, to ordering that and, uh, and uh, getting, uh, getting stuck in with it. It's uh, definitely looking like it's, uh, it's going to be a great, great read. So tell the listeners finally where they can find and follow you and, your, and find your books as well. Well, I just, like I said, I just launched uh, my new website, which is fast5krunning.com. Um, my old websites, uh, you know, if you haven't, I'm not even going to give you the name of the old one because I want you keeping the, your eye on the ball, but they redirect to it. And there are links to everything. Uh, there's links to my Amazon page. There's links to uh, my Velo Press page. I'm currently, uh, my current publisher is Velo Press. They do some other fantastic books. Um, you know, don't go to my website, go to the Velo Press and look at all the stuff they do for, you know, biking and swimming and running. They handle everything with endurance sports and there's a lot of quality. Perfect. Thank you so much, Pete, for coming on the show. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Hope that you enjoyed that episode. And as usual, you can find all the show notes on thattriathlonshow.com. Also, to find related episodes, anything related to running, remember that on the website, scientifictriathlon.com, you can go to the menu bar and uh, click.
click more and popular topics and then running and i will bring up all the show notes from past podcast episodes that are related to running or are about running on Thursday, we'll have another Q&A episode for you. And then next Monday, hopefully you will have the episode where listeners sent in their time management tips and tips for balancing career, family and training as uh, related to what we discussed last week, actually, with uh, Conrad Geringer. So that'll be a fun one. I haven't put it together yet. So that's why I said hopefully, but uh, I'm looking to do that in the coming days as i record this and that there will be a fun one to to hear what uh, what you all have said and what tips you can give for myself as well as for other listeners hopefully thank you by the way to everybody who contributed to that episode in advance before we go i want to once again ask you to subscribe to the podcast and rate it and review it if you haven't already because that really goes a long way and helps the podcast grow and keep it sustainable. It's uh, not that easy to, to keep it sustainable, so I really appreciate your help. And finally, of course, big thanks to our sponsors, Roka, that you can find on roka.com, and you can get 20% off your order with the promo code TTS, all caps, and thank you to Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test to get your individual hydration strategy and get your first box or tube of electrolytes for free with the promo code THATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart. Keep loving triathlon.